Good morning. It is absolutely lovely to see all of you today. Um, for any of you who might not know me, I am Rachel, um, and my husband Jim and I are the pastors of this lovely wee church. Although I have to say, uh, it's looking a wee bit less wee these past couple of weeks, so um, that's a fun problem for not now. Um, <laughs> um, if we don't know you, though, we would um, love to meet you over coffee and a donut downstairs later, um, or actually at that lovely welcome lunch that happens to be today. Um, if you want to come to that, do send us an email right now on your phone, and um, we would love to see you there and tell us about who we are. Um, so this morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Luke. Um, but before we jump in, I just do want to take um, a minute or so to honor our preaching team. Um, this series started while Jim and I were still on sabbatical back in September, and I've now been back through and listened to all of the sermons that we missed, um, as well as enjoying the ones that have happened since we returned. And I've got to say, the caliber has been so high. Um, I've really loved each and every one of them. They've been so different, and I feel like I've learned loads from all of them. So, preaching team, thank you so much for your faithful, prayerful, and Holy Spirit-led preparation, and thank you for the way that you draw us closer to Jesus with your teaching every week. I really think that we are a blessed church with the preachers that we have. Um, so, no pressure for me this morning, then. Hope it's not trash. <laughs> um, over the past few weeks, then, we've been looking at the early part of Jesus' life, from his birth, his growing up, his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness. And everything we've heard so far has been about pre-ministry Jesus. Today, Luke records him in action for the first time as Jesus returns to his hometown to teach in the synagogue. Um, so we're going to read the passage together. Um, my friend Maddie is going to come up and join me. Um, so why don't you turn in either your physical, digital, or whatever else it is, Bibles that you might have, um, to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 13. 14 to 13. There we go. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were away, amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many miserable many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years 
and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Amen. Thank you so much. So, to me, this passage seems to have two main themes. And those, I think, are who Jesus is and how people react to him. So those are the things we're going to look at this morning as we go through the passage in roughly verse order, thinking, about, thinking as we go about how this might be relevant for our lives today. For those of you who like a title for a sermon, this is Jesus in His Own Words. One of Jim's all-time favorite Bible study questions is, what does this passage tell us about what God is like? And if you've been on a car journey with him that lasts more than about five minutes, he's probably asked you how you experience Jesus. He's a good pastor, and these are good questions. We are a church that places such high importance on having an active, growing relationship with Jesus. So that means it's really good to keep asking ourselves who he really is and how we respond to him. And I think this passage gives us the perfect opportunity to do that. The reason being that for the first time in Luke, we get to hear who Jesus is from his own mouth. We've heard who he is by lineage. We've heard about how he's fully God and fully man. But now who does he say he is? What does he tell us about himself by the way he launches his ministry? Let's find out. The first thing I want to note as we pass is the timing of this teaching. Jesus' ministry doesn't start until he's around 30. Before that, Jesus spent time in the temple learning from the teachers. He was baptized and he prayed. And only after all of that is he ready to launch his ministry. Jesus' ministry doesn't just happen. Everything he teaches and all the incredible miracles he performs are born out of decades of learning and growing. Jesus is a man prepared. And I don't know about you, but I find this a comforting reminder for my own life when I wonder what God's up to and whether he's doing anything at all in me. Our lives, too, have times of being sent and times of preparation. So if you find yourself in a time of wondering what he's up to, I would humbly suggest that he's much more likely to be taking you through a season of preparation rather than doing nothing and forgetting about you. The next thing this passage tells us about Jesus is that he's a teacher in verse 15 and a really good one at that. At this point in time, news is spreading quickly about Jesus. People are beginning to catch wind of him, perhaps working out where he'll be next and making their way there to hear him. He's starting to draw a crowd, and people cannot get enough of his teaching. The picture I have of this in my mind is of a whole group of people sat on the edges of their seats, almost falling off, kind of missing their mouths as they try and eat popcorn because they're just glued to everything that he has to say. 
This is like nothing they've ever heard before. They're maybe not quite sure even what they're hearing, but they know that they want more. In terms of how people react to Jesus then, I'm calling this the Jesus honeymoon period. Not, you know, like with beaches and sangria and stuff, you know, like the happy time when nothing goes wrong. Everyone praised him, verse 15. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, verse 20. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips, verse 22. This is looking very good for Jesus so far. When we get to verses 18 and 19 then, we finally get to hear who Jesus is from his own mouth. What does he think he's doing here? What does he think his mission is? What we find out is that he's sent by God, empowered by God, with a clear purpose. These two verses are a Jesus manifesto, if you like. And the fact that these words come from his own mouth gives them even more weight. If we ever find ourselves wondering what Jesus' main priorities are, and to go back to Jim's question of what does this passage tell us about what Jesus is like, this is a good place to come to remind ourselves. Jesus chose a prophecy from Isaiah 61 to tell us in his own words that he has come to do a list of wonderful things. He told the Nazareth synagogue, and he tells us through Luke's gospel, that he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. That means he cares about and has come to bring good things to those who are materially lacking. But not just that. He cares about and has come to bless those who are poor in spirit, those who feel their need for God like we feel our need for food. They now hear that through Jesus, there is a rich feast to be had for our souls. Jesus then says he wants to bring freedom to the prisoners or captives. He wants to literally set free those who find themselves in chains, but also to set people free from the metaphorical captivity of their sin. He's come to say that again through him, the things that hold us back from a relationship with a loving God no longer need to hold any power over us or keep us separated from our God. Next, he talks about the blind. He says he wants to bring back their sight. This, again, is literal and figurative. We see later on in the gospel that Jesus heals a man born blind, and we believe that he can and does still do these kinds of healings today. But Jesus is also calling out spiritual blindness and inviting an end to that too. He wants to bring people out of whatever darkness they find themselves in and bring them into the glorious light of life in God's presence. He's come to unveil some mysteries about who God is and how he loves us. And he's here to give us clearer sight of the incredible realities of God's kingdom. He then moves on to saying that he's here to set the oppressed free. This is another message of freedom. Freedom from injustice for those suffering at the hands of others and freedom from whatever is holding us away from God from within ourselves. 
This is a really, really wonderful and profound set of statements from Jesus. He sets out so very clearly what he's here for, that what he's here for is to reach those who are in need, give them what they need, and draw them into a relationship with their heavenly Father who loves them. This is life-alteringly good news. You know, I think we get used to this. We get used to reading that this is what Jesus is like, and we kind of know that. But we need to remember that for the people listening, this was like, what? He's going to do what? He's how good and how nice? And in fact, Jesus' decision to introduce himself using this passage at all is telling us something about who he is and what he's like. This passage from Isaiah transforms from a prophetic promise into a present person, a person filled with the Lord's Spirit who will come and meet the vulnerable, the hurting, those in need, prisoners in darkness, those held captive, and proclaim to them God's favor, a year of jubilee. Restoration, celebration, healing, and wholeness, and needs met. By saying in verse 21 that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, Jesus is saying clearly that he is God's spirit-enabled sent one. He's claiming that identity of God's Messiah and claiming that mission as his own. As a mission statement, that's a pretty big one. And as a glimpse into Jesus' thinking, his motivations, as he walked around meeting people, it's a really precious, beautiful one. Jesus was fulfilling God's promise to Isaiah through these loving acts of bringing God's wholeness and favor to people. Let's look more closely at, for a moment at that favor. In the final line of Jesus' reading, he says that he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's noteworthy about this is that there is a line missing. As he quotes Isaiah 61, verse 2, he surprisingly stops mid-sentence, the end of which is, and the day of vengeance of our God. So what's happened to that vengeance, Jesus? Why skip over it? I don't for a second think that this was a misspeak of Jesus or a misquote by Luke. So what is Jesus telling us about himself and his mission here? He's drawing a pointed distinction between the season he is introducing and the rest of the work that is still promised but not fulfilled in this mission. There's a time and a place for everything, and this time, as Jesus speaks, is the year of the Lord's favor. God's righteous judgment will come, but not now. That's not why Jesus came, and that's the message he wants his listeners to hear. Moving on to verse 22, and reviews of Jesus' teaching are still positive, for now. What gracious words, they said. But then there's a bit of a vibe change. It's almost like they loved what he said, but their heads have just had a moment to catch up with their hearts, and they're starting to think through some of the implications of what he's saying. The people start asking each other whether this is Joseph's son. In my experience, there is often a question behind a question, and this is one of those. 
The real questions they're asking here are, could someone as lowly as a son of Joseph really come out with this eloquent teaching? And, but he's Joseph's son from down the road. Is he really now claiming to be God's sent one? Isn't that blasphemy? And then the vibe really changes, and Jesus offers the crowd a firm rebuke. The crowd aren't sure anymore. They want to test him, and Jesus consents it. I imagine them saying here, show us a miracle or two then, Jesus. We've heard what you've been doing in those other places, and we want to see it for ourselves here and now. If you're saying you'll heal the blind, go on then. Jesus' response in verses 24 to 27 is to compare himself to Elijah and Elisha. The point he's making here is that Elijah helped a widow, but not a Jewish one. And Elisha helped a leper who was the commander of an enemy army. These are stories of God healing outsiders, the wrong people. And with this comparison, Jesus is suggesting that he may also heal the wrong people. This is again revealing of Jesus' priorities. Jesus hasn't come to save the Jewish nation because they're the Jewish nation. Jesus has come to search for the hearts who are for him and willing to follow him and save them. So not only is Jesus refusing to perform for his home crowd, and not going to bring in the day of God's vengeance against those who have oppressed his people. Jesus seems to be suggesting that he is actively looking for people to bring favor to, even within those oppressing groups. Jesus is much less interested in nationality or status, and far more interested in the state of hearts. And he'll work where he sees that hearts are soft and open to him, where people are eager to see him move, and where his presence is welcomed. And he might be less keen to move among those who are hardened to him, regardless of whether they're supposed to be the right people or not. The crowd then, at that, are absolutely furious. They want God's Messiah to bring healing, salvation, and restoration to them, not to other people, who weren't even part of their oppressed group. Heck, they might even be the oppressors themselves. The crowds were hugely offended at the idea that those who seemed far away from God might find themselves right in the center of his blessing, and those who seemed close, who were God's own people, might find themselves missing out. Watching the crowd's reaction here, seeing the way they expect him to move, and want him to perform to them, makes me wonder how my expectations of Jesus match up to the reality of who he is and what he wants to do in and through me. Do I sometimes find myself disappointed in the way he answers my prayers and want him to do more and faster? Yes, is the answer. Or do I think it looks like he's doing something for that person over there, when actually I really want him to do this thing for me now, here? Also, yes. You may or may not have noticed that I am currently pregnant. Um, I have a tiny wee lass making her home in my belly and making her presence known at all times of day and night in what can only be described as a feeling like a Mexican wave in my womb. 
Anyway, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> anyway, if you've been around Jim and I long enough, you'll know that this hasn't been an easy journey for us. There's been a fair bit of disappointment and sadness along the way. That means that this pregnancy is currently my greatest joy and my greatest anxiety. So when Jim and I were in Spain in September, I started wondering whether there was either something wrong with me or I might be pregnant. And I was putting off taking a test because I just could not face the answer. I remember praying. I'm not even sure I was using any words. I think I was just kind of feeling things before the Lord, um, most of it negative. Um, and I, most, I almost audibly heard him say, you will see how I will bring you through this. And do you know what? I was 50% comforted and 50% raging. <laughs> I was raging because this was such a crystal clear answer to my prayer. But it wasn't the promise of a negative test so I could just put the question out of my mind and stop worrying for a bit. And it wasn't the promise of a baby either and that's what I wanted. God did not dance to the beat of my drum, but looking down now at my growing belly, an extremely active baby, looking back to the incredible medical care I've received both in Spain and here in the UK over the course of this pregnancy so far, and the perfect timing of it all, I can see that God had it all in hand and was paving the way for things I didn't even know I needed making sure that every little thing lined up in a way that really has been best for me. My question to all of us this morning is this. Unlike the hearers in this passage, and unlike me in the story I've just told, are we ready to accept Jesus and his ways exactly as he is? Are our hearts soft to what he says and willing to go where he leads? allowing our priorities to fall in line with his, even when it feels really, really hard? Do we seek to learn who Jesus is in his own words to us? Are we receptive to and trusting in his answers, even when what he says might not line up with what we were hoping for? I do think that's what he calls us to as his people. And I think we can confidently take up his offer of following him where he leads in the confidence that he really does work all things for our good. Now onto the final part of today's passage and this remarkable scene where the crowd are so angry that they try and throw Jesus off a cliff. A proper look at this scene will have to wait for another day but what I do see here is Jesus faithfully focused on his mission and God the Father giving him a way out of an imp apparently impossible situation. So with that, that brings us to the end of our walkthrough of today's passage. This section of Luke gives us the first glimpse of Jesus' ministry. It tells us who he, he says he is and it shows us how people reacted to him. Through Luke's recording of events here, we're able to see that Jesus is patiently prepared, an engaging teacher, and a man with a clear purpose to bring good things to anyone who would listen, regardless of their status. He was also 
not quite who people thought he would be. He was someone who looks at the heart before anything else. And he was undistractably focused on his mission. And what we've learned about people's responses to Jesus is a helpful warning. Yes, Jesus' words might captivate and amaze us. Good. And we might hunger for him to pour out God's favor. Also good. But we also face the danger of putting expectations or limitations onto Jesus that aren't right. And in that moment, it is us who need to line ourselves back up with him and who he says he is. This passage is Jesus in his own words, introduced to us as the anointed one to bring good news, freedom, healing, and the Lord's favor. It's a mighty powerful introduction that sets the tone for the rest of his ministry. And for us here today, it reminds us what Jesus is still in the business of. That list of his priorities has not changed. And it's all available to us, for ourselves, and especially to share with those around us. So as we come into land, I want to pick out a couple of things that I think God might be inviting us to respond to through this passage this morning. The first is that this Jesus, who in this passage tells us of all the amazing things he's going to do, is here to meet us today. And he's here to meet us, especially if we're struggling or feel poor in spirit. He told his listeners in the synagogue, and I think he reminds us this morning, that he brings God's good news to the poor. He brings freedom for those who who are trapped in situations. He brings sight when we need to see, freedom from oppression, and God's favor. If you want to meet God in any of those things, We would love to pray with you this morning. The second thing is about the way we react to Jesus. We've seen a whole range in this passage, and we might have felt a similar range of feelings ourselves. So this morning, I would love to invite God to meet anyone who feels disappointment at the way God seems to be answering their prayers or not. Perhaps like the hearers in this passage, You love what Jesus has to say, but you're confused about and not entirely comfortable with how that's working out in your life at the moment. Perhaps it feels like God is doing amazing things for that person over there and healing that other person, but you've been faithfully following him for a long time and it doesn't seem to be happening for you. I believe that one of the things on offer to us this morning is some divine comfort and reassurance, if that resonates with you. And thirdly, if you have heard the Jesus manifesto of preaching good news to the poor and um, bringing back sight to the blind, and you're like, yes, Lord, I want to get on board with that mission. Teach me how to do it. Then we would love to pray that God would light that fire and send you on your way this morning to reach those who don't know him yet. Why don't you stand? And I would love to pray with you. Come, Holy Spirit.
Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to hear who you are in your own words. Thank you that the person you were then, you are now. Thank you for what's still on offer to us this morning of healing and wholeness. I pray that as we move into a time of response, you would meet us wherever we're at this morning. Amen.